Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Realm presents Dark Heights, Episode 7. Tess. The change in the weather was a springtime sudden mood swing. No one was ready for the rain. A few years now in L.A. and in the mountains, we'd had hot, dry spring seasons, followed by forest fire summers. This year, there had been a few more showers in the evenings than we were used to. Then, one afternoon out of nowhere, the sky filled with clouds that seemed to have gathered in a moment before a storm of biblical intensity opened up over Park Heights. I was at Mrs. Markova's house, halfway through my green machine workday's delivery route, when the downpour started. I sat with Mrs. Markova at an uncomfortable wrought iron table and chairs in a little atrium addition at the side of her house where the walls and roof were greenhouse glass. We drank apple tea from delicate porcelain cups ringed red-brown with ancient stains. She had been telling me a story about her circle of bohemian artist friends in Moscow in the 60s. This was before she had defected to the U.S., a story that involved an awkward amount of casual sex. All at once, the rain was hammering down on the atrium glass, and we couldn't hear each other even if we shouted. We retreated to the kitchen, where Mrs. Markova poured out two small glasses of vodka, one of which I would refuse, as usual. I like this rain very much, she said, drinking down first her vodka, throwing back her head as she did it, then doing the same with the one she had poured out for me. It makes me think of a poem. Do you know this poem? Je suis comme le roi d'un pays pluvieux, riche, mais impuissant, jeune et pourtant très vieux. I knew that Mrs. Markova had been a famous poet in Russia, and in the U.S. as well, after she and her husband had come here. Did you write that? I asked. In French? She smiled. No, no, that's not me. It's Baudelaire. The poem says, I am the king of a rainy country, rich but powerless, both young and very old. But it sounds better in French, doesn't it? Everything does. There was a brief lull in the conversation, and I took my opportunity. Unfortunately, Mrs. Markova, I really have to go. I've got a few more deliveries, and you've put up with me for too long. Backwards, of course, she said. It is you putting up with me. Not at all. And thank you for the tea. Before I could get away, she took hold of my arm with surprising strength. 
She really was a tiny woman, but it was like there was more force of life in her than in most people. You have not told me about meeting a boy. I blinked rapidly. How did she know? Well, I said, nothing's really happened yet, but I guess I did meet someone. Ah, I knew I was right. I thought, today Tess is different. There is more lightness in her. I laughed. I like him. We're going on a first date, more or less, tonight. Oh, yes, she said. This is very good. So good for you. I'm happy. As long as you're happy, Mrs. Markova, I thought sarcastically, an uncharitable thought that I shook off, instead saying, it's been a while. I'm a little nervous. If you are nervous, he is terrified, she said. I doubt that. He's a cool customer, this one. She gestured at me, head to toe. You are a lovely, perfect girl, even if you think maybe not so much. Trust me to say this, he is in chaos inside, all of today before coming to see you. Yeah, I nodded. You're right, he'd better be in chaos inside. There, now that is acceptable attitude for first date, Mrs. Markova said, sounding pleased with herself. My next delivery of the day was the Mayfair bed and breakfast. Actually, Mona had mentioned them that morning, Jenny and Karen. Apparently, Jenny had called in the day before to cut their order in half, and she had sounded miffed about it, so I was supposed to do a little spying to see what was going on. I think I had suggested to Mona that she just ask Jenny herself, but Mona had shaken her head and left me to my work without another word about it. I recalled there was some kind of history between these three women. Small towns. You can't escape the melodrama. I drove cautiously through the crazy rain from Mrs. Markova's house to the bed and breakfast. The roadmaster wasn't always my best friend in bad weather. Thankfully, Jenny and Karen's place has a veranda out front, where I took shelter after lugging the box of groceries from the back of the car to the front step. Jenny answered the doorbell, which was odd. It was always Karen who came to the door, to the point that I'm not sure I'd even met Jenny before. Except that Jenny said hi, Tess, to me like we'd known each other forever. I gave her the invoice, and she gave me cash for it, plus the usual generous tip that I always felt like giving back to them. Everything okay? Jenny said to me. Oh, yeah, of course, I said. Okay, see you next time, Tess, Jenny said. I was turning out to be a complete failure as Mona's spy. Oh, well. Mona wanted me to ask you something, I said to Jenny before she went back inside. She did? And what would that be? This wasn't going well. It's just that you've cut down on your order. I had hit on a business angle as a line of inquiry, and I went with it. She just wants to make sure you're happy with us, that everything's going okay. I see, Jenny said, nodding slowly. Well, Karen has an old friend staying with us for a while. We decided to cancel our bookings and take some time off from bedding and breakfasting, just to visit. Jenny seemed to read my mind and head me off before my follow-up question. No, it's not anyone that Mona knows. Like I said, it's an old friend from before Karen moved out here. Jenny's tone of voice was becoming increasingly terse, and I was becoming thoroughly mortified by this whole situation. I didn't mean to pry or anything. I apologized meekly. 
Just tell Mona not to worry. It's not her place to worry. Not for a long time now. Bye, Tess. And she turned back inside, closing and locking the door. Heading back to beach from the B&B, I thought I saw the Severin's black Mercedes turn down Mayfair Street, but someone cut me off as I pulled up to the intersection, and I lost the Mercedes, if that's even what I'd seen, into the interruptive rain that filled the rearview mirror. Could be Will Severin, I thought, or Mr. Severin, Marius, or even Lina on some errand in town. In fact, Lina was supposed to meet me at my house after work to help me get ready for the date with Zack. And sure enough, she was right on time. The sleek black Mercedes with its tinted windows pulled up at 5.30 sharp, and Lina rocketed out of the back seat, holding a plastic garment bag over her head as she sprinted through the rain to the front door. She looked like she had been outside all day. Her hair was soaked, her cheeks held high color, her eyes were fever bright. I wanted to ask her what she'd been up to, but she thrust the plastic garment bag right at me, and my train of thought derailed. Here, she said breathlessly. It's for you. What is it? For you to wear, dummy. The last time I had seen Lina had been the night of our quest to get drunk, the night that concluded at Crazy's when I had agreed to go out with Zack. I remembered, just then, seeing Lina again, how she had run out of the diner after the older black man who, apparently, had been giving her some kind of tarot card reading. Zack had said, What exactly is happening right now? as we watched her confront the tarot reader in the parking lot before the man eventually turned and walked away, leaving her standing there alone. I had gone out after her. She wasn't upset exactly, and I didn't know what had gone on between them, but I thought she seemed freaked out by what had happened. There was an overcharged brightness in her eyes, and I saw that her teeth were chattering. I have to go home, she said. Right now. I can call us a cab, I said. But Lina, what's going on? Are you all right? How long will a cab take? A few minutes at least. I'll call one now. She was shaking her head rapidly. I can call my driver instead. And just at that moment, a taxi with its lights on cruised us on Beach Boulevard, slowing down. I hailed it, and Lina got in, and that was it. I made my way back to Kevin Cho's, where my car was, and I crashed at his place. After, I'll admit, having a few more beers with Kevin and France and the guys from White Mask, who were nowhere near finished their night of inebriation and were disappointed that I'd somehow let Lina slip away from them. Lina, in my house a few days later, took off her coat and boots and followed me into my bedroom. My mother wasn't home. I would have guessed she was at the wellness center, doing whatever it was she did there. I felt awkward with Lina just then. There was a disconnection between us. She had never explained to me what had happened at Crazy's, and she didn't seem to be aware that anything needed to be explained. In a way, I didn't even want to know. Maybe I was already taking on Zack's unconcerned attitude about Lina, about her peculiarities, that it was just her, it was just who she was. You couldn't take her anywhere, Zack had said at the diner. She just gets into trouble. And I'd already decided that Lina needed, more than anything, a friend who'd accept her without much inquisition into why she was the way she was. Still, I couldn't quell the curiosity. Come on, take it out already. Put it on, Lina was saying impatiently. I want to see how it looks. You shouldn't have got anything for me, she shrugged. 
I saw it in the store and knew it was right for you. At least, I think so. I didn't even consider not getting it. I took her gift out of the garment bag. It was a long-sleeved, lace-patterned blouse with a high collar, the color of a deep red sunset. I shook my head. It was exceptional. Probably worth more than every other piece of clothing I owned combined. Wow, I said. I know. Try it on. Something occurred to me. I haven't seen you in anything, Lena, other than something a model would wear. Except for that night you were out with Dylan and Zach. She grinned. Dylan told me we were going to a movie. I've never gone to a movie. I decided to dress down. I thought you had made your own clothes. So I overdid it as usual, but you're stalling, she pointed out. Try on the blouse already. I felt that once I put the blouse on, I would never take it off. And true enough, once it was on me, it looked like it had been tailor-made for me. Just for me, it was that perfect. Both of us admired the blouse for a long time. I turned around to have a few angles at it in the full-length standing mirror that occupied a corner of my bedroom. You know I can't accept this, Lena. I finally said. Then just borrow it. It isn't your size at all. I'll return it to the store when you give it back. I just love it. Exactly. Lena, I said. You have to wear it. Look at it. I won't let you leave without it. Lena, I said again. Thank you. She paused. You're welcome. It's generous of you, but I don't want you buying me things like this. You don't have to. I wasn't trying to purchase your friendship, she said with a sudden bitterness. If that's what you're trying to say. That's not what I meant. Well, show me what you're going to wear with it, Lina said, moving abruptly past that moment of tension between us as if it hadn't happened. I have to approve these choices. While we went through my wardrobe, with Lina vetoing nearly everything I brought out to match with the blouse, I decided to see if I could get some information out of her. I was talking to Zach that night at the diner, I said, while I tried on the second pair of jeans for Lina to appraise. He had a lot to say about you, you know. Of course he did. Zach's been my brother's friend for ages. Lina shook her head. Next pair. Those are ratty. Zach was really in love with me. That made me stop what I was doing. Yeah, I said. That's kind of what he said, too. I couldn't reciprocate, she said simply. You didn't like him? He's not my type. She thought for a moment. Oh, it's bad that I said he was in love with me, isn't it? You're dating him now. But he was. Not anymore, but he was. I'm sure he's not now. He hasn't written me anything or called me or done those kinds of things for a long time now. He wrote to you? He did. Lina nodded. All the time. Love letters. They're really embarrassing. Can I ask you something? I looked at her. These sudden shifts in her thinking were sometimes hard to follow. Go ahead. Who would you say is your best friend? I considered her question. I think what you're really asking me is, why am I spending all this time with you? Don't I have a hundred girlfriend besties I could have called over to my house to try on clothes with and share makeup tips with and have them brush my hair? You want me to brush your hair? Not really, but you're right. I'm not that close with a lot of other girls. Though I did have a best friend growing up. Her name's Iggy. Iggy, Lina echoed. 
Her name was Gloria, but everyone called her Iggy, even her mom and dad. Anyway, she's in New York now. She's in pre-law at Columbia, which is amazing, but she's focused. She's busy. We email, we call each other now and then, but I don't know. It's like everyone just scattered after high school. Everyone went somewhere different, went into their real lives, I guess. And we said we'd all be friends forever, but that was never going to be true. Not even when we said it. I sat on the bed next to Lina. She was watching me closely, like she was absorbing what I was saying into some deep part of herself. And I've never hit it off with many girls. I don't know why. Guys just seem so much more relaxed to be around. Kevin and France, we really get along. They're not in competition with me for anything. They don't judge me. We can just be there, wherever we are. It's no big deal. I would love to be more like you, Lina said. Whoa. I said. Where did that come from? I'm... Lina started, then stopped herself. It's nothing. She looked down at the covers on the bed. I'm afraid that you won't like me if you get to know me. I am getting to know you, and I like you very much. She looked up at me. When she spoke, her voice was as plaintive as a small child's, Maybe I'm a bad person. Maybe I've done terrible things. Lina, I said, I don't know if someone's told you that or what's happened to make you think that, but I don't believe any of it, not for a second. You're good. I only see that you're a good person. You're a little intense, but I like it. You don't know everything about me, she said. island in frigid lake superior a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it ancestor by number one new york times best-selling author scott sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong available wherever you get your podcasts i held my breath the silence exploded he shouted I screamed. His arm came at me from behind the tree. His hand went into my hair and yanked my head back, bashing it against the tree trunk. My vision swam. I tasted blood in my mouth. How had he come up on me so quietly? I'd been listening for him. I thought I'd lost him. I thought I was free. I twisted myself away from his grasp, feeling hair torn out by the roots. I was screaming, snarling like an animal. This was a fight for my life. The knife... The black-bladed hunting knife was in his other hand. It would cut me open now. Any moment now, I could feel its desire to cut me open. But I got away again. I looked back and saw strands of my hair between his fingers. He was circling out from behind the tree. I tried to move. I could hardly move. The blow to the head, or the fear, the paralysis of fear that flashed like lightning through me, pinning my feet to the ground. I was going to lose. I couldn't run anymore. Good, I thought. Good. Just want this to be over. I'm all jittery, he said. He was close. He was right behind me. I've got gooses. Just as I gathered myself to make another run for it, he took hold of me again, pulling me off balance. 
The front of his knee rammed into the back of mine, and he forced me down to the ground with his hand wrenched into my hair, pushing my face into dirt and loam and moss. Then he let go, turned me onto my back. He was crouched down, his knees digging into my stomach, pinning down my arms. I couldn't move, could barely breathe. His face was above me. He said, I'm happy, really happy. It's like it's our wedding night. The tip of the knife went to the front of my dress. Not cutting me open. Not me. Not my body. Just clothes. This dress is indecent. You're better than this. Let's take it off. No, I said. No, no, no! The fight had come back. I pushed at him. My legs kicked. I twisted, heaved, bucked at the weight of him crushing onto me. No, 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 no! kept pouring out of my mouth, getting louder, surging to a scream. Stop it, he said, holding me down. I shouted, no, never, no! Stop being bad, he said. My arm came free. My hand flew up and I clawed him across his face. His head tilted back and he howled. Then he bore down. His knees pressed into my chest, one hand closing around my throat, squeezing everything out. No breath. Nothing left. Stupid girl, he said sadly. In his other hand, the knife rose up into the air. Then it plunged down. I opened the door. Zack was outside, his hands in his pockets, whistling tunelessly. His long hair was across his face. I wanted to reach out, pull it back, smooth it down. It stopped raining just for us, he said. Are we having a picnic in the dark? I said. I saw him take in the beautiful blouse Lina had bought for me. My hair was as done up as I ever did it, blow-dried, brushed, parted in the middle to give it two loosened cascades that, right just then, had been artfully arranged to fall across the shoulders and down in front. That's... He said. Wow, that's... You look... I'll take that speechless stuttering as a compliment. It is, he agreed. I slipped on my jacket, locked the door behind me, got into Zack's car. He was driving a nondescript Ford Taurus, nothing like the BMW race car his friend Dylan had been driving that night when I'd pulled over and interjected myself into Lina's life. Zack glanced at me in the passenger seat next to him. He smiled, but it was odd, strained somehow. He drove us to the restaurant he'd chosen. And so we went on our date. Dinner and a movie. It was excruciating. The whole time, I found myself double-thinking everything. What had happened to Zack? It was as if he just disappeared. We hardly had any conversation over dinner, and the movie, a romantic comedy, was terrible, and both of us sat in the theater, expressionless, silent, as people around us laughed wholeheartedly at the inane jokes and cliched situations. I knew that he liked me, otherwise what were we doing here exactly? I knew that I looked good and was game for some easy, fun flirtation. Throughout the night, I tried to draw him out with the little jabs I was getting used to in our interactions, and then I tried other tactics, asking him about himself, making sly observations about other people in the restaurant. Nothing worked. 
He responded, of course, and at times I thought the Zack I liked was emerging finally, but then he seemed to stop himself. He kept glancing at me and looking away. It felt like he wanted to tell me something, but couldn't start in on it. And I didn't mind. In fact, I liked it. The date was a dud, but I had relaxed myself into it. I even started enjoying, on some sadistic level, Zack's awkwardness and inability to get his charm working. So the movie was over. We were coming back to Park Heights from the ex-urban retail power center where Zack had driven us for our big night out at an unremarkable chain restaurant next to a multiplex cinema. The night was gorgeous, warm, inviting. It was like the rainstorm had scoured the sky completely clean. You could see stars. I knew what to do. Are you up for more? I said to Zack. He looked over at me in surprise. Of course. Park us at Prospect Point, then. Zack's brow furrowed. Then he laughed. I really didn't think you were going to make out with me after tonight, he said. There he was. I've never actually made out with anyone at Prospect Point. Seemed corny to be doing what everyone else was doing. Or you just never found the right guy to make out with? Was that a question? Maybe Zack had done this on purpose. Had he pulled himself back to give me the lead, to let me decide when to test the spark I knew was there between us? If that was true, he was the most emotionally intelligent man in the country. I was probably giving him too much credit. Prospect Point is a park on the easternmost edge of Summit Estates. It's a strip of green space that runs north-south along the side of the mountain, at the top of Park Heights. You can park your car in the lot there and look out over L.A. And, yes, make out with your beau. I think everyone I know, except for me, has spent some moments in a car in the lot of Prospect Point, had a cop knock on the steamed-up window, interrupting the occasion. As soon as Zack parked us there and turned off the car, I got out. I didn't even wait for him. I made a straight line for the boardwalk promenade that was built on the edge, where the hillside dropped right off. Zack followed behind me. Along the promenade, there was a wooden platform, an overlook, that extended out from the hillside, supported below by wooden beams angled up and anchored in the slope. Benches lined the outside verge of the structure. I headed right for one of these benches, sat down sideways there. Zack joined me. We spent some time looking over Los Angeles, distant below us, the city lights like a Milky Way mirror of the starred night sky above. Everyone called this place Coma Jump. We all knew someone who'd leapt off the edge of the platform to kill themselves on a dare, I don't know why. Some of them died. A lot of them landed in the trees below, free fall broken by branches, winding up alive. And of those who lived, an unusual number of them were still in comas they would never wake up from. Finally, Zack said, Coma jump. Are you trying to tell me something about tonight's date? It wasn't the best, was it? I returned. Zack let out a huge lungful of air that maybe he'd been holding in all night. I don't know what happened, he admitted. I've never felt so intimidated, ever. I didn't know what to say. Why? I said to him. I was basically waiting all night for the night to start. I couldn't shake the feeling that, well, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I feel like I'm in over my head with you. 
You'll have to explain that. Zack got up from the bench. He produced a small silver flask from his jacket, offered it to me first. I took a sip without thinking. It was an Irish whiskey that flared pleasantly all the way down. I handed the flask back to him. He took in an impressively massive swig of it. God, I needed that, he said huskily. He flipped his hair back out of his face. I've really only ever dated, I don't know, simpler, ordinary girls. Mostly, well, mostly some pretty vain and vapid girls. Like the one at Crazy's the other night. Exactly. But you, Tess, you're way more than that. I guess I didn't really think about it. I guess it just hit me when I saw you tonight. It really hit me. You're way more than I'm used to. I froze. Like, I had no idea where to start. And, actually, there's something else. Go on. Did Lena maybe choose that shirt for you? Um, I said. How the hell would he know that? It's... That's exactly the same shirt that she wore once. He sighed. I see, I said. Although I didn't. Lina had some explaining to do. Maybe I'm a bad person, she'd said to me. Was this what she'd been talking about? There was a dinner party at their house, Zach was saying. At Arson. This was a few years ago. It was right when I was thinking about her all the time when I thought I was in love with her. That was the shirt she wore at the party. How could I forget it? I was trying not to watch her all night. Then I was coming back from Will's room. I think I'd gone in there to get something from him, a book I was borrowing. She was in the hallway, in the dark, waiting for me. And she asked me to kiss her. She took my hand and forced it up underneath her shirt, over her bra. It was so strange, almost violent, but I didn't kiss her. I couldn't do it. It wasn't right. Even though it was the only thing I wanted in all the world at that moment, it just felt wrong. Seriously, Zach, I said into the pause in his story, this really is the worst first date of all time. He shrugged. Yeah, I guess I'm trying to break records here. He scowled at me. Not at me, exactly, at the blouse Lina had dressed me in, for him. It's that shirt, that fucking shirt, it's my nemesis. He sat down heavily next to me. It was like he was spent. There was something about Lina. We were in her shadow. Zack was deep within it. I was only beginning to feel its reach. I asked him the only question that really mattered to me. Are you still in love with her? No, he said immediately. That's something, I said. Then I made a decision. It could have been that I wanted to have something of this night that wasn't affected by Lina Severand. I was apart from her, after all. I was myself. And just at that moment, I needed to assert who I was. I needed to feel the weight of my own past, feel it as real and solid as skin and flesh and bone. I decided to tell Zach about my year in LA. They were words I hadn't spoken to anyone since I'd moved back to Park Heights. My boyfriend left me last year, I said. He thought I cheated on him. It was the only place to start. 
Far away and far below, the city itself, Los Angeles, glittered like a promise. And I loved him. I thought I loved him. Zack shifted next to me. It felt like he had moved closer. I moved to LA, I said, the week after I graduated from Pally High. I couldn't wait. Already I had auditions lined up. A few of them were from my mom. Of course, she had to have a hand in me following in her footsteps, but she doesn't really have those connections anymore. There were auditions I had found on my own, and those were the ones I was excited about. They were for one or two theater productions going on in the city. Nothing important, nothing major, but I wanted them. More than anything, I wanted to start. I wanted to be on stage. I had some other auditions for commercials, some walk-ons, and I was committed to those too, of course. I was serious about it. I was going to be an actress. And I met Mark. All those auditions, even if they didn't lead to parts, led to parties. And you know how it works. You show up at parties and meet people, and you're networked. You're known. You're on your way. And I had a name. Tess Bellamy, Barbara Bellamy's daughter, and hey, she can act, and wow, she looks like her mom. So Mark was at one of these parties in Beverly Hills at someone's obscene house where there were three pools. Mark's a writer. He has all these screenplays in development, and he'd had a run on an HBO show. He's older than me, but I didn't care about that. I loved his humor and his intelligence. I moved in with him. It was probably only a few weeks after I'd met him. Things had gone so fast with us. That's how I was. I wanted everything, and I wasn't going to wait for any of it. After a few months of auditions, I finally got a part in a play. It wasn't well-received, but I didn't mind. I loved doing it. I had to play a hooker with a heart of gold, but so does every girl at some point. It's a rite of passage. Then I landed a commercial. It was for home insurance. I was the professional at the call center, answering someone's hysterical emergency phone call with expertise and reassurance. It was all going so well. It really was. But I wasn't myself. I don't know where it came from, but all I could think about was making it, getting parts, being on film. Nothing else made me happy. I wasn't happy. I was driven. If I stopped to think about who I was a year out from high school, how different I was from that other girl, if she was me, but she was sweet, shy, and troubled, I looked back with hate in my heart. I wanted to erase who I'd been before. Mark was working with a producer on one of his screenplays, and I got a face-to-face -face with him. This was a younger guy in Hollywood, like Mark was, and these were the guys everybody wanted to work with. They were hot shots already, Hands in all these different projects, the future of show business, etc. I met the producer for dinner. He wasn't what I'd expected at all. I mean, he was more like a fan or a nerd at a convention than some rising star Hollywood insider. He kept ordering drinks for us while talking at me the whole time about this part he had for me, a part in Mark's script. I was eating it up. And I was drinking up martinis, bottles of wine, shots of tequila. Of course, I wasn't even legal to drink. I was 18. But it didn't seem to matter to anyone. We took a taxi back to his place. I don't even remember agreeing to go back to his place. I kind of came to my senses on the walk up to the front door of his house in Malibu. 
I'd go inside with him, I decided, but I'd call Mark right away. I'd call another cab. I'd get myself home. Right inside the door, the producer grabbed me, pushed me against the wall, kissed me with, well, a lot of force. I got away from him, pretending it wasn't anything. You've got the wrong idea, I said to him. I've got a boyfriend. You know I've got a boyfriend because he's your writer. <laughs> I was laughing like nothing had happened. Nothing was ruined. The producer grabbed my arm again, and this time he got his fingers in my hair and he pulled it hard like he wanted to hurt me, like he was out of control. Zack made a sound. I realized I'd been talking straight through what I wanted to say without stopping, as if stopping would mean I wouldn't start again. I got away, I said, and put my hand on Zack's arm. I got away. He wasn't a big guy, this producer. He wasn't that strong. I got away. I got home. By the time I got out of the cab and went up to our apartment, I had already convinced myself I'd escaped pretty much unscathed from it, from this inevitable thing that comes when you're 18 and there's power on one side, not your side, and you want what you want and the man with the power wants what he wants. I wasn't unscathed, though. The producer started telling everyone a different version of what had happened. In his version, I had begged him for sex, and he'd had no choice but to fuck me because I was insatiable. And later, when my mom's health took a bad turn, when I was alone in L.A. before I came home, it kept returning to me what that man had done to me that night. I couldn't shake it. I couldn't get over it. I would lie on the floor of the apartment all night, not sleeping, staring up at the ceiling. And what happened that night happened over and over again in my mind. When I looked in the mirror, I could see the person I used to be in high school, right there looking out at me, as if all the work I'd done since then to get rid of her had all been for nothing. And I realized I was sick. I had stopped eating. I wanted to hurt myself. And my mom was worse and worse. So I came home. Zack took my hand and held it, and I let him. I had done this without breaking down. I had gone right through it. I felt tears coming. Mark didn't believe me. He was so angry. It didn't matter what I said. I showed him the bruise on my arm from where I'd been grabbed, and still he didn't believe me. Fuck him, Zack said. And he left me. I was finished. I had told it now. Except there was more. There was the last part, the end of the story, the rest of it. I wouldn't tell Zack about it. I wouldn't tell anyone. The rest of it unspooled inside me. Coming home to the old Park Heights house, all my suitcases by the front door, the quiet of the house like it was listening to itself. Outside in the yard, out beneath the trees that bordered the property, my mother stood there, out on her own, out in the dark. She was naked, and her body was shivering with the cold. I found a bathrobe in her bedroom and brought it out to her. She's a whore, I heard her saying as I came closer. Everyone tells me Tess is a whore. Mom, I said, I'm here now. It's Tess, I'm back. I didn't raise her to be a whore. She said, Mom, who are you talking to? Heinrich. 
She meant Amen Aufdernacht, the horror film director. No one except for my mother had ever been allowed to address him by his real name. You know he's dead, Mom. He's right here, honey. No, he's not. She looked at me for the first time as I put the bathrobe around her. Oh, Tess, she said at last. Yes, it's me. You poor thing. I started crying. I'm home now, Mom. You shouldn't have come back for me. You should go back to LA right now and show them what you're made of. I can't. Because you're just a whore. Mom, please. A whore? And an ungrateful bitch. Let's go inside. Don't touch me! She shrieked. Get away! Her hands came at me like claws. She lunged forward. She took hold of my hair and pulled it as hard as she could. You're listening to Dark Heights by C.D. Miller, starring Dion Graham, Julia Whalen, and Neil Helligers. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Dark Heights is created and written by C.D. Miller. It is produced by Haley Wagreich and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, and editing by Amanda Rose Smith. Original music by Chris Miller.